You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's now time to turn back the clock and catch up with some old friends of A's past, exclusively on A's Cast. This is Where Are They Now? Vince Catronio sits down with alumni of the Oakland Athletics to reminisce and discuss current adventures. Here's Vince Catronio. On this episode of Where Are They Now? We visit with Houston Street. He was the A's number one pick out of the University of Texas in 2004. The following year in the big leagues and the winner of the Rookie of the Year, the year where he Saved 37 games. He had 324 in his career. And while he played for a number of teams, the A's, the Rockies, the Padres, and the Los Angeles Angels, he had more games and more saves as an Oakland A. So he is always going to be considered an Oakland Athletic. And to the surprise of no one, Houston Street joins us from Austin, Texas. It's been his home forever. Still calls it home. Houston, how are you and the how are you and the family doing? Hey, I'm good, man. I'm uh Life is good. Life is peaceful. I'm uh, coaching some Pop Warner football with my my two oldest boys. Flag football starts with my youngest son uh, a few weeks. Today was their first day of school, so summer's over. Back to the routine, and uh, it it couldn't be better down here. Let's, Let's take a step back before you were drafted by the Athletics. We've told the story, certainly in your time with with Oakland pitching out of the bullpen. Your dad was a quarterback at UT. You grew up in Austin. You went to UT. You won a College World Series with the Longhorns. You were at the College World Series all three years. You was an MV, You were an MVP of one of the World Series. What was that like? Just uh, the whole Austin experience, the whole street family experience, and, and having the success you and your teammates had with the Longhorns? Well, first, uh, you know, uh, I think especially in those first four or five years in the the big leagues, um, I if you remember, I gave so much credit to that experience for my early success in the big leagues. I I, I, I wouldn't have been able to achieve at the big league level so quickly without the experiences of the College World Series, without my coaches, Augie Greedo, Tommy Harmon, Frank Anderson, Lance Hooten, my strength and conditioning coach, um, and also my teammates. My teammates uh, played with a number of big leaguers at the university who, you know, at the time, I didn't know they were going to be big leaguers. I didn't know I was going to be a big leaguer. I just knew that I was competing against them uh, and with them. But we were a team, and, and, and it, it, we won as a team, and we, it gave me so much confidence uh, through those years and those experiences. Um, now, getting to UT was probably the most – uh, formative part of my life, which was obviously my father raising me, and as you mentioned, UT, uh, his ability to play football, winning a national championship, going 20 and 0 as a quarterback, three-time All-American pitcher, and I say all that because I got told that stuff by all these other people my whole life. You got to live up to your dad. You got to. Are, are you worried? Is there pressure? And I think one of the the best lessons I ever learned at an early age was that. Um, my mentality was my choice that I, my father loved me no matter what, that, you know, what everybody else says is 
nice and they're just they're, they're they're pulling for me but when they say some of those things it can make me feel like I have to do something and I never had to do anything and my dad always was very very good at retooling the conversation to you know I'm here to help you and I always felt like having him as a father wasn't something I had to live up to but rather just a privilege in that I had an expert at my house I had a, a, a man who was a you know, his mindset mentality, I, I've still to this day never met a, a, a human, a person with a stronger mentality than him. And he shared that with myself and, and my three little brothers uh, every day. And that really was what allowed me, you, you asked, you know, growing up in Austin, growing up in Austin, I was James Street's son uh, to this day. People will say my dad has been passed away for nine years. God rest him. I love him. He's, you know, I still talk to him every day. I still walk around town. People are like, hey, you're a, you're a, and I'm waiting for it. I don't know what to say. 70% of the time, you're, <laughs> you're James Street's son, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, that's me. I'm James Street. I'm still James Street's kid. And, uh, you know, I'm almost 40 now, but it's, uh, it was a beautiful truth for me to have him as a father who, I got to look up to, and uh, he's the reason I fell in love with the university, and the university um, is the reason that our family has been uh, so blessed in this life. And uh, yeah, so you know, I think uh, I hope that answers it. But at the end of the day, I just you know, I, I those first few years, those first twenty years before I got to the big leagues, um, was everything that shaped my ability to perform at the big league level uh, at such an early age. Houston Street is our guest at our Where Are They Now episode. Houston, in today's game, it's a little bit different because the uh, the amateur draft happens around the All-Star game. So college baseball, college regionals, the College World Series is over. And in the years, especially back when you were playing, the draft was already taking place, and you're still playing games, you're still competing. And for you, because you're at the College World Series all those times, even more pressure to perform. And then there was the added uh, to it that uh, everybody knew who, who was drafted by who, when. Explain draft day to me on when that happened in 04 when the A's made the call and you were their top pick. Well, you know, in a way, I think, um, first of all, we, we were at UT practicing, as you said. Secondly, um, I think we had a dial-up modem. Um, so, you know, we had to listen to the sound. I think we lost connection nine times. Um, and there was no draft room. There was no – there was all the stuff that they do today, I think, is actually so wonderful uh, in the way that they celebrate the, these kids who have accomplished so much, uh, who still have a long road ahead but they get to enjoy that moment. For us, it was equally as enjoyable, just in a different way, but we were all huddled around a little computer with these Harman Kardon speakers that are, you know, spitting out sound that, that's not quite clear. And uh, you're just waiting for your name to get called. And, you know, I actually think that, that the draft being uh, after the College World Series is, is more pressure on the, the, the kids for today because you're still playing you're, – you're still playing for – you know, they're still playing for your future. Um, and, and, and make no mistake, all these kids love their universities, but especially the ones who know they're going or have a chance to go in the first, second, or third round. Uh, you know, I got drafted before a regional, and it was done. It was over. I, I, and I remember getting drafted, though. I remember getting the phone call from my uh, agent, 
Steve, and and there was there was like kind of a moment where he was just like, you know, it, it, you know, pre-draft deal, so to speak. But the A's were thinking about taking me with the 36th or the 40th pick. They ended up taking Danny Putnam with the 36th pick. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, they didn't take me. Am I going to go? And uh, you know, I'd always been a fan of Dennis Eckersley growing up and his style and just that kind of idea. And you hear your name get called. And I remember the first thought in my head was like, okay, like I know my future. Like I know my plan. I have, I know where I'm going. And then honestly, I heard my name get called and the, the whole rule that day was like, once your name gets picked, you get out here and practice. Right. But like there were some guys that weren't allowed to go listen to the draft in the first three rounds. Cause like you have no chance of getting drafted in the first three rounds, which is kind of interesting. Right. Like, like you, you were, you were, you had to, you had to go shag, <laughs> uh, baseballs. But as soon as your name was called, you, you call your mom, call your dad, uh, get excited. And then, uh, strap on my cleats and head out there to go field some ground balls. And in a way it was, it was pure for me. It was very pure. It was a very beautiful, pure feeling of just, okay, I know where I'm going. And then the rest of it, the regional, super regional college world series was just back to competing again, competing for baseball um, and for my university without any of that added pressure. So I think, I think the draft today is um, probably in a better time for the teams. Um, probably uh, a smarter time to have it for the kids as well with health and stuff like that. Um, but I definitely think the kids have it a little tougher now having to continue to perform through the super regional, the regional super regional, and then uh, potentially the college world series before they get to know where they're going. Houston, remind us of the circumstances that made your path to the big leagues so quick aside from talent and ability and certainly inner confidence that we saw time and time again but drafted in 04 and not only the big leagues in 05 but you're closing you had 23 saves that year you have an ERA under 2 only Mariano Rivera has a lower ERA than you how did all that happen and you know, it was it was such a a quick ascent and all of a sudden you're in the middle of it and you have to simply deal with it on a daily basis how did you handle all that well, you know, I think it, it started with the the day I signed. Uh, Billy Bean was very, very, very um, open with me, gave me great insight into his mind, his mindset uh, when I signed. And, and, and they told me when I signed, uh, which provided me great comfort, uh, kind of an ease of just, you know, um, you're going to go to single A, you're going to pitch 10, 12 innings. Uh, might take two weeks, two and a half weeks. Then we're going to call. We're going to move you to Double A. Now we want you to pitch 10, 12 innings in Double A. Depending on how you do there, we may or may not call you up to Triple A. And then if you if you pitch continue to pitch well in Triple A, which would probably be for a couple innings in the regular season and in the postseason, we may or may not actually call you up for September. And uh, I had already set an internal goal of being in the big leagues by September. I. I I was a young kid uh, and super confident, not knowing anything about the big league level, just knowing that I expected myself to get there and there was no other, there was nothing else that was going to occur. I was going to get there and I was going to be successful. And so, of course, I was going to be good in single A or double A or triple A. Like, if I'm not better than these guys, then then, then I don't belong. And so, um, 
you know, the minors was like kind of a whirlwind. I had some great teammates and some great coaches, uh, but it was only six or seven weeks. And then I didn't get the call up. I didn't get the call up in September. Uh, some of my teammates, Joe Blanton, Nick Swisher on the AAA team did. And while I was happy for them, I was furious because uh, I felt like I could have helped the team. But the bullpen that year in the first half had been one of the worst bullpens in baseball, but in the second half had been one of the best bullpens in baseball. And, you know, that's a rhythm, and Billy um, is really good at managing that, that, that rhythm. And so, you know, he just didn't want to upset it. Um, and then, you know, got to go to camp in 05 and, and a chance to make the team pitched, I think, okay. I think I started off pretty hot and finished kind of slow, but we had injuries uh, to, to Bradford. But the organization, um, you know, specifically uh, Billy, was did a great job of communicating with me throughout the process and my agents to kind of manage my expectations. So even though I didn't get called up in September – you know, you're going to go to the fall league. You're going to have a chance to make the team out of camp in 05. So don't get down. And all of that stuff as a young kid, I think was very important for me as such a competitive person, uh, but also such a thinker who, who, you know, wants to know, needs to know, you know, uh, and I think Billy understood that about me. And it started from the day I signed um, and through my first bullpen with Kurt Young um, down there in Oakland. Houston, this is the part of the conversation where we get to how you made it work. We talk with okay. you all the time about who Houston Street was on the mound. You were not overpowering. You were a reliever that liked the windup. You barely made contact with the pitching rubber off the extreme first base side of the mound. You had a unique arm angle, and you had the you-know-what of a lion every time you took the baseball. You challenged everybody. You believed that you could get the job done. Uh, explain how all that came together, why you felt like, it, especially in today's game, but even velocity was something talked about back then, and that was not an, a thing that you felt like was the most important, as you proved command and moving the ball around and just trusting yourself were things that were going to you know, make you better more often than not. Explain all that, if you would. Well, first of all, I, I'd like to point out that, uh, you know, Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, uh, even if you want to say Roger Clemens, like when did these guys get most of their wins? <laughs> you know, did they have velocity or not velocity? The game, it, you know, the game's always changing and evolving. Um, and, and and on the velocity front, you know, I, I, I threw 94 sometimes, 95. So I, mean, I wasn't doing slow at the beginning of my career. But my whole thing was the first pitch, the, the first pitch. You know, I had a very serious philosophy on the first pitch, and I trained that way. Um, you know, I could talk about my routine. I could talk about the way I played catch, which was the exact same thing every day. You know, I wouldn't let my catch partner even speak while I was playing catch because when you're speaking, you're moving. And if you're moving, then the target's moving. If the target's moving, I don't have, you know, I lined everything up off of that. I took catch play extremely serious. Um, but the first pitch to me, in my head, and I, I use this to talk to a lot of the young kids uh, later on, was I said, listen, guys, if I'm facing this guy, I don't care who it is, Barry Bonds, right? His last at-bat was 30 minutes ago. 30 minutes ago. So go watch him take BP. 30, they take 30 minutes in between rounds 
do they square up the first pitch? Do they do they park it? Yeah, they're big leaguers, but like they're still dudes. They're I'm here too. I'm just a guy. Right? Like you're just a guy. Like he's just a guy. So like I got to go with my best pitch, the first pitch, and I got to and I want to be 01 because if I'm 01, I have two pitches to get to a one two count. Versus if I'm 10, I have to make two perfect pitches to get to a one two count. And so that was the first thing was that um, the wind up and the stretch. I understand mechanics, but like we're supposed to be good athletes. Like you can't repeat two different motions, like two. Like you can't you can't perfect the wind up and the stretch. Well, the reason they can't, in my honest opinion, goes back to catch play. Ninety nine point nine percent of guys did not take catch play as serious as I did. <laughs> Uh, which is why my command developed that way, which is now how I work with kids is I say, you know, and, and people will try to say to me, well, Houston, they weren't born with your command. I was like, born with it? I wasn't born with it? <laughs> so it was, yes, I was gifted by God, and I, and I give thanks to him for that. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. But like, and I could always seem to throw a rock and hit a tree, no matter the shape or the wind, and I could feel that. But you, you, I was very adamant of my routine um, I do give a lot of credit to learning the game from to, from, to Jason Kendall, my catcher in Oakland. Um, huge, huge influence on my understanding of my stuff, the way I pitched, the way I got guys out. And with the with not throwing 97, 98, you know, all the time now, apparently you got to go throw 104, 105. And my argument against velocity is very simply this. How many 15-year careers are we going to see? So do you want velocity for six years, or do you want greatness for, for 12 to 14 or 15? I, I choose greatness, you know. I choose that. I mean, it, yeah, sure, great. It's a, You know, you want to throw 105 and throw max out full speed the whole time? You know, like, I never pitched at full speed. I don't know if anybody even ever understood that. Like, I was pitching. Right? Like I was not letting the ball go full speed the whole time. I was pitching. And so my philosophy was I had three pitches, fastball, slider, changeup. I could throw any pitch at any time when I wanted to the spot I wanted with the action I wanted. And my arm angle came from Frank Anderson, who's a you know, pitching coach at Tennessee, still a good friend. Uh, had it not been for that fundamental change in my mechanics, I, I wouldn't have become who I was. He made that change my freshman year um, in Stanford in the middle of the third game of the series down there. And that changed my life. I mean, that, that changed my entire idea. But that's kind of more to my point of command was like, I didn't learn how to throw this way until I was 19 years old. So like, how did I go from 19 to 21 being able to spot up? I just worked. I, I was really diligent with my focus. Where's my foot? Where's my knee? Where's my hip? Right. And I always saw the wind up. Like, let's say I face a pitcher on, you know, if I'm going to play the Rangers and I'm going to be in the same division for the next six years or 10 years. Okay. I might not always face this guy this series or even this year, but if the last time he faced me, I was out of the windup and this time he faces me, I'm out of the stretch. That's a different look. It's a totally different look. Ball comes out, different rhythm. Um, and so there was so much that went into my philosophy uh, that I adapted and learned to over time. And then as I got older in my career, I pretty much abandoned the inside part of the plate um, 
completely just abandoned it. And my philosophy really came down to, I'm going to like, this is my best pitch. If I put it right there at your knees on the black, good luck. Like just, I'm going to, I'm going to execute good luck. And, uh, you know, I think the strike zone was a little bigger when I pitched than it is today. I see, I see these guys dotting pitches. I'm like, God dang, that's a, that's a strike, you know? Um, and so I, I, yeah, I, I think, I think, you know, with the strike zone being smaller, I would agree that velocity, uh, you know, velocity is harder to hit. It's harder to hit at 91. I mean, harder to hit 101 than it is 91. Uh, but not if it, if it's 101 down the middle over and over again, they're big leaguers. They're going to find a way to get that barrel to it. And my job was just, you know, if I got a one run lead, take three singles to score a run. Uh, so I'm going to just put it down in a way and, and trust my trust the guys behind me that are all world-class athletes to go make a play. And I always had good defenses. I always had, had good players behind me and, and a lot of really good catchers throughout my career. Houston Street joining us in this episode of Where Are They Now? And Houston, the spotlight was on you as a kid. You mentioned it in college as the number one pick. It intensifies as it's becoming a rookie of the year. More and more people are learning about Houston Street. Then we get to the 06 season, which the A's carry all the way to the ALCS. We'll get to some of that along the way. But I know of your 324 saves, and 94 of those were with the Athletics. One of the most dynamic moments, you kind of glossed over Barry Bonds there before, was the one nothing game against the Giants <laughs> in 2006 when you strike him out. How electric was that time? And just uh, the adrenaline that might have been going through your body, but still trying to stay calm in the moment and get the job done like you did. Well, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I'm coming in the game, and I see Bonds up third, and I think I got Biscal, um up second. And so I just want to get to Bonds with and have the moment where I can pitch to him or I can walk him. I can pitch to him or I can walk him. Uh, I didn't want to get to the moment where I got a pitch to him, right? So I really had to bear down on those first two guys. And, you know, I wasn't really aware of, like, how long the delay was going to be, but I'll never forget. I get the first two out. The second out, I know, was a ground out to short. I can't remember what the first out was. Um, but um, the guy with the orange card comes out, you know, and they change the baseballs, and they got this – B stamped on them like you know in like a special ink or whatever and it probably wasn't special but I, I convinced myself that it was and uh, I still have the baseball because I got a save so I kept all my save baseballs um, that was a Ray Fossey idea by the way <laughs> that's awesome uh, yeah that was that was a genius idea uh, a man with such presence and such a beautiful human uh, also a gigantic influence on me, especially in the clubhouse, especially in that 2006 year. Um, you know, it, yeah, I had 37 saves, but I blew 11. And uh, for for someone who wasn't used to doing that, um, you know, you needed guys in your corner. And Ray Fossey was absolutely somebody who instilled confidence in me uh, every day. And, and that's the reason I have the Barry Bonds ball. But they throw out the ball to me. And I remember thinking – all right, what are you going to do? <laughs> like, everyone is watching, you know? Um, and you know everyone's watching because the guy with the orange card says so. I mean, he just he literally made me stop in the middle of my routine for like seven minutes. And, I, and so I actually channeled that anger. I was, I was started, I started, uh, like, 
first your thoughts go to, God, on a, this is a delay, and you, you have these weak thoughts of like, you know, excuses and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, no, 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 we can't think this way. So I had to find something to motivate myself. So I just started getting pissed at the guy with the orange card. I'm like, when is this dude gonna get off the field? Like, this guy would, I, you know, and I'm, I'm not gonna let this guy beat me. Like, I don't care who it is, Barry Bond. So I'm pumping myself up. And uh, umpire gives me a good call. Get a call, get a good call. I think it was 01 or 10. I can't remember if I got ahead of him. I think I got ahead of him 01 with a fastball down her way. And I got the call, uh, which again, Barry Bonds at the time, you didn't usually get that call, but I got the call and they go one, one. And I remember knowing in my soul, I was like, if I beat him with a fastball right here and I locate my changeup, which at the time my changeup was still a, a, a pitch I was developing. I was using, I was developing it while pitching in the big leagues, but it wasn't where it was by the end of my career. But I knew in my soul, I was like, if I can beat him with a fastball right here or challenge him or get lucky um, and he fouls it off, I'm going to uh, – and that's what everybody wants to see. You know, I, like you're 22, you've got a little bit of an ego at this point, way more so than I did later in my career. Like, I'm going to throw this ball by him. So 1-1, one, one, I rear back and I throw the fa my fastball as hard as I could possibly throw it, which like I said, I don't normally do, but I did. And Barry Bonds fouls it straight back. I could hear the ball spinning as it like like when he fouled it back. It was like it was like impossible. It defied physics. He'd hit it so hard, and somehow I got lucky, uh, and he just barely fouled it back. But I mean, I mean, the ball for sure had black ink. You know that black burn from how, how he was perfectly in time, perfectly on it. Had he hit the ball, he might have hit it over the center field monster. Um, it, 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 but I knew at that point, all you got to do is throw a changeup because there's, he thinks you're going to throw a slider. He's never seen your changeup. The league doesn't even think you throw a changeup. And uh, it's probably one of my top three changeups I ever threw in my entire life. This is quite a scene. Straight taking his time now climbs up to the top. Bonds waiting at the plate deep in the box waves the wood a couple times an even stance and the windup. Here's the one two pitch to Bonds swung on and missed. The A's have beaten the Giants. Barry Bonds strikes out for the final out. Houston Street a one two three ninth inning and he does it by striking out Bonds on a one two pitch as the A's have won it by a score of one to nothing. The A's get their 22nd win of the campaign and the A's on this 19th of May lead the division by a game over Texas. That's it. In that moment. And I, I used to go back to that pitch so many times in my career. I tell young guys, like, when you have a pitch that you can't forget, like you just know it came out perfect, remember that feeling. And that pitch, that pitch was more profound in my career than maybe any other pitch for that reason and that I remember what it felt like. I remember how it came off my hand. I remembered because the moment was so visceral for me because it was Barry Bonds, because he was trying to tie Babe Ruth, um, you know, because of that game and, and, and me wanting to succeed. That, that you, there's so many things that are turned on inside of you that allow you to – it's still real. I can still vividly remember the feeling and the moments and the thoughts after he swung and missed 
and I'm just walking towards Jason Kendall, and I wanted to jump up and down, you know. I just struck out Barry Bonds, right, on national television. Uh, but I'm also trying to act like I belong, you know, pretend as if I I, I expected it to happen, but I didn't. And uh, but the plan worked, and it was. But it was a very profound moment, one of my favorite moments in my career individually, for sure. Well, Houston, I can promise you that uh, every person that was there and the millions that say they were there uh, and hearing you recount that uh, great encounter with Bray Bonds, uh, they could still vividly see it as well with the strikeout and him spinning like a top on that last swing yeah. as the game was over. You're a guy that – one of the great things about you, Houston, is that you're a great teammate. And you've already talked college days, minor league days, and even as a big leaguer about how important your teammates were. I look back on that mm-hmm. bullpen that you were with guys like uh, Super Slider, Kiki Calero, and Justin Dukeshire with his big loopy curveball, and the late Joe Kennedy, who was a lefty and came in, did a nice job. Uh, what was that band of brothers like for Houston Street? You know, the, the, the I will say, sometimes you don't realize how lucky you are. It's, you know, I, I came from the University of Texas where, it, like, I mean, I'm still friends with most of those guys. And the A's is no different. Like, I was texting Barry Zito the other day. He's coming to Austin soon. Uh, Joe Blanton, Chad Godan, Nick Swisher, Bobby Crosby. These guys were roommates of mine. Uh, Adam Melhews. And then you go to the bullpen, Justin Dukeshire, and I literally stayed up for hours talking about life and all these different things. And Kiko Calero, um, and and Joe Kennedy, and Jay Watasek, and you know, it's just it was such a profoundly lovely group of competitors. First, um, I you know, they showed me the way. I, I was always very disciplined, like I said. And I, I I I didn't I, at that time, especially, did not let people outwork me. But they worked hard and they were focused. And and so they set examples and we pushed each other. And, you know, Justin Dukesher and I, those first two years, neck and neck, you know, he and I making jokes with each other when we give up a run, like almost like pulling for each other, but pulling against each other because we both wanted the lowest ERA on the team. And then, you know, I get hurt right before the All-Star break. And so Justin makes uh, the All-Star, All-Star uh, game that year and he's, giving me a hard time for getting hurt and pulling my hamstring and but it was it was all in love it was all in appreciation and it was all a competitive thing that I was just so lucky to have that early in my career and a very 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 rare thing um you know as I went on in my career um you know I was lucky in that I had I I actually typically always had a great relationship with most of the guys in my bullpen throughout my career um, there's only a few guys that I, 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 you know, I could say I didn't like, um, but 99% of them were like just true professionals, and none more so than that 05, 06, those two first years that were just so cool because of the way they shaped the way that you saw the routine, that you saw the camaraderie, that it was almost a continuation from college. And uh, that's why we won. That's why we won. And, and, and we had great leadership in the clubhouse, you know, with Mark Kotze and with Eric Chavez. And uh, we had, you know, great other role players 
that came in. You know, Marco Scudero stepped in when Crosby gets hurt. And just Scott Hatterberg was my my first, like, locker mate. That's how I fell in love with wine um, because Hattie just had – he had the wine advocate open every day, sitting right next to me, you know? And I, all right, Hattie, teach me about wine. You know, I'm 21. I've never had wine before in my life. Uh, and, and, and honest to God, like, if it wasn't for Scott Hatterberg, I don't know if I would have learned wine the right way. But he taught me the right way. That team, there were so many guys in those first two years that did it the right way. And then you go look and you say, okay, especially that 06 team, 05 team, how many of those guys were rookies, young guys that went on to have 10, 12, 13-year careers? That's why. Because they were all actual professionals, real professionals. Um, and so, you know, was I professional or was I also just mimicking the behavior of everyone else around me? I had everyone that I was surrounded by on those ace teams was reinforcing this idea of professionalism while still having fun and being like a family, uh, which made it an easy transition from college to the big leagues. And then you look back on it and you realize how rare that was because it wasn't, it wasn't always that pure. Um, over my 13 years, they weren't all that special. Houston, the A's fans, by the time you got to the big leagues, uh, they had a stretch where they were somewhat spoiled going to the postseason in 2000. Yeah. And one, two, and three. Now, they didn't advance, but they got in and had really good teams, and the expectation was there. Then suddenly there's a dry spell of 04 and 05, which you were part of in Oakland. And then you win the West, and you go to the postseason. And I remember back then, it was Oakland and Minnesota, New York, and Detroit. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the feeling was you don't want to play New York because they're the Yankees, and you don't want to play Minnesota because you have to go to Minnesota where there's a million people inside a dome. It sounds deafening. And, and Johan Santana. And you've got Johan Santana, the Cy Young Award winner. That was such an electric series. You saved the first two games. You pitched in all three. Uh, recount what that was like. And it, as far as, you know, Minnesota was concerned be careful what you wish for because the ace came in you had some guy named frank thomas on your club too that really provided mm. some presence and boy what a fun series that was well the big hurt i was actually going to highlight that moment first you know he was my next locker mate the next year and and uh still friends to this day one of the biggest influences on my career and life uh you know hall of famer but my favorite big hurt story is that is that first homer he hits off Johan Santana? He called it. He not only called it, he told us what was going to happen. He's going to get a changeup, and he's going to hit a hit a homer, and he's going to hit it right there. And, and he did it. And you're like, okay, like that's different. <laughs> that's different. Like this is the postseason, and this guy is so present and so in rhythm with the ideas of. I do this, he does this, he's going to attack me, but he might counter it. This, all of those things. And, and, and he told us the day before. He didn't tell us that day. He told us the day before. And then he goes and does it. And, and it just sets the tone for us. Really quieted the crowd. Uh, obviously, Zito had to pitch. Dan Heron, uh, Blanton, guys who, who, you know, had to – so many performances uh, – big at bats uh, you know one of my favorite my next favorite moment was the uh, Marco Scuro uh, base hit down the down the line the base loaded um, double yeah the base is loaded double 
that, that broke it open and you knew you were going to win. You knew you were going to win. Now, I had to go pitch, right? And that's my own naivety because uh, at that time, I just thought it was impossible to give up five runs in an inning. Like, it was just impossible. Like, that will never happen in my life. Uh, it ended up happening two times later in my career. Um, albeit one day I had 105 fever, but then, no, I'm just kidding. No, no excuses. I, I took the ball. Um, but uh, it still bothers me to this day that I gave up a five spot to the Astros that day. AJ Hinch is one of my good friends. And I had him 0-2, nobody on base, but uh, Scudero hits that ball down the line and we're in Oakland and we, everyone's got their towels and it was just beautiful. Like, beautiful. Like, 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 like watching a sunset, right? Like, you knew you were going to advance. It broke the game open. It was such a clutch at bat. The ball feathers down the line. And, 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 and I got to comport myself to stay present, to stay in. But you also have to enjoy it. But I remember reminding myself, look what's happening right now. And it was just, you know, I never went, I never went past the first round again in my life. Like that was it. Like I never went past the first round over the next 11 years. Never got past the first round, played with some great teams, but never got past the first round. And, um, you know, Scuro's on second base and, and it was, we deserved it. In my honest opinion, that team deserved it. That team, um, you know, we we had a team dinner that year, right? Like, and you hear guys team dinners. We had team dinner in Baltimore, and out of 25 guys, 24 showed up. And the only reason the one guy didn't show up was because he was having a family reunion that had been planned for like seven months on that day at the end of the season, right? So he, I mean, you know, and he understood, and he was still like texting all of us, trying to get back to the game. Like that was the beauty of that team and the togetherness and the energy. And we did, we played for each other. We pulled for each other. And there was a lot of guys on that team that went on to have amazing careers. Um, one, because of who they were individually and how they managed themselves, but also too, because I think when you start your career off that way, you learn the right way to play and winning, winning players, uh, have a have a way of sticking around, and you see that a lot of guys on those those teams went on to win World Series with other teams, um, which obviously is a testament to their ability to contribute. And uh, you know, uh, but uh, that series, that Minnesota series, I remember after the series to finish the story. I I, I took the subway or the train or whatever. I walked out of the stadium, and, and it's just like, like it was a day game you know we won that second game and it was a day game we still got to go back to Oakland to, to finish off the series but I remember like walking around Minnesota at like 4.30 in the afternoon like we're 2-0 and oh. like I'm I'm 2-0 and oh in the postseason mm-hmm. like in Major League Baseball I remember I was like pinching myself and I'm just sitting on the subway and strangers are getting on they have no clue what just happened in my life uh, you know put my headphones in and and just sat and enjoyed it and just kind of had a smooth day about it. But it was, uh, yeah, that was, that was a very, very cool series. And, uh, we over, we, that, that was a championship team. So let's be clear. You, you rode the BART 
in the Bay Area after Game Three? Is that what you did, or this was after Game Two in Minnesota? You couldn't have this was, game- that moment was after uh, after Game Two in Minnesota. I rode the Bart all the time. I mean, I rode the Bart to and from the stadium. Uh, the Bart was the best. I loved the Bart. Uh, still, you know, walk across the bridge and say hello to bunch of the A's faithful. I became friends with a lot of them because of the Bart, and they were very respectful. It wouldn't hound me or bother me, um, you know, different times than they are today, but with no social media. But, um, yeah, that moment was in Minnesota. And, you know, like I said, we hadn't finished off the series, but it was still cool because it's like, like to, to, it's, it's surreal sometimes that those – and I look back on it now at, 30, at a 39-year-old dude who, you know, would give anything for his shoulder to be able to work the right way. It just it quit work, it blew out. Uh, but that playing playing the game was so fun, and those, those, those I, I couldn't have started my career off in a better way with a better group of dudes. And, a, and a, the perfect organization, and Billy Bean uh, gave me a chance, gave me a, a, a real chance to be a closer as a 21-year-old kid. That's a lot of trust to put uh, with an organization that has – obviously was capable of winning uh, and I was so appreciative of that more than anything. We have to address a little bit of the ALCS with the Tigers and it was much like with Minnesota maybe expecting they were going to play the Yankees and uh, the Yankees expecting they were going to play the Twins and that didn't happen. The Tigers beat them and this is no disrespect to a guy like Nate Robinson who pitched against the A's in that series for Jim Leland or I remember the first is the first or the second game was a because it's on the West Coast, one of those weird start times, like at 4.15 or 5.15. And a guy named Alexis Gomez starts for, for Leland, a guy that hardly played at all, and he hits two home runs. I think Esteban Loiza started. And Leland's comments were, well, he, he was always a good BP hitter. We always had BP at 5.15, so I know he would be a star today. Just, it, it seemed like for the Tigers, for whatever reason, it was going to be their year. And I know you pitched, and people want to talk about the Maglio home run in game four. That was the longest outing you ever had as an athletic. You went two and a third in that game. You kept the A's in it. So they had chances to break the 3-3 time, and it didn't happen. And I also recall flurries, snow flurries were falling in the morning as the A's mm-hmm. were going to game four at Comerica Park. Uh, just kind of put that to bed, if you will, just – while it's exciting to be in an ALCS, and you said it's the only one you've been to, it's the last one the A's have been to, and here we are in 2022, what that was like. Well, you know, I think, first of all, to address the Maglio situation, um, you know, two and I, – I, I always say two and two-thirds, but I forgot I didn't get that last out. <laughs> but, you know, I come in that game, the runners on first and third in a tie game, and uh, they hit a bullet to Chavez down at third. He, he turns a, you know, an Eric Chavez double play, right? It's a double play, but it's only a double play because Eric Chavez is there. <laughs> um, and so we get out of that inning and then go out, you know, and then I get some outs. I, I, I get some outs uh, in that ninth inning. But, you know, talk about the homer and, uh, you know, he, he hit a homer. I mean, the, the pitch was a fastball in. Jason Kendall calls fastball in, and then he calls another fastball in. Um, you know, I, I literally faced Maglio the very next year, very next year in Detroit, and got him out on a slider, and he grounded out to second base. I'll never forget that. But it, you have to respect 
the ways in which adversity can shape you, the ways in which moments can make you or break you. And I remember after that game being asked, I think I did like an hour and a half of interviews, and one of the fundamental questions that everyone kept asking was, is how is this going to affect you? How is this going to affect you? How is this going to affect you? And it goes back to my mentality of, you know, what is truth? Like, what is truth in sports? And the, the truth was, was that I trusted Jason Kendall. The truth was that it was the right pitch. He, he made the right call, right? The truth was is that I made the pitch, 93-mile-an-hour fastball, three inches off the plate. And the truth is is that Maglio Ordonez is one of the best hitters in the history of baseball and put a big league swing and a big league moment and the other truth is is that I had to endure that moment and I had to come up with ways in my head to make it seem okay and then I had to come up with ways to persevere through it and then you know there were so many other moments it, it did fundamentally change the way I pitched in a way because fastball in at the time was not my best pitch but it was the right pitch I still believe that and I executed so the truth was that like I did everything I could do and that's what I could think of that you understand like I'm I'm more frustrated about the two guys I didn't get out before that you know hanging the slider here not executing those pitch those pitches bothered me way worse than the homer and it was hard for people to believe it at the time I remember the look in their eyes the reporters just being like this kid just, you know, maybe they thought I was just like, it was like a coping mechanism. But no, to me, it was just the truth. And, you know, another big thing as a team that year was, you know, we we swept. We swept Minnesota. They went five against the Yankees. So we had almost a week off. You take a week off from baseball at that point in time, hitters, rhythm, timing, pitchers, routine. It's just hard to keep those competitive juices going. And yes, the Tigers performed extremely, extremely well. But it, 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 you know, teams have done it, and teams have overcome that week off. But you know, it, it, I, I do think that affected us as a team, and, uh, and and the Tigers earned it. You know, I mean, like it's hard to be a Hall of Famer, right? That's the truth. You got to perform, right? You gotta you got to make it 15 years, pretty much, and you got to dominate. It's hard to win a World Series. It takes 25 guys. It really takes 45 guys if you think about the entire idea of the every guy that's ever been on the roster throughout the season contributing. And then it takes 80 guys when you really consider the staff and the coaches and the trainers and everybody. It takes a team to win a World Series. It's hard to do. It's why it's so beautiful. And this is why grown men act like children when they win the World Series because they know how special it is. And, you know, it just it wasn't meant to be. But the Maglio-Homer, I think, was one of the most profound moments in my life because it truly was this – like, I still – I actually said this the other day at dinner, like, I forget. I do forget sometimes. But I gave up a Homer, and the team, that when they hit it, they went to the World Series. Like, it, it never registered in my heart and soul that way because the truth was that I did everything I thought I could do and I thought through it and, and I had a plan and I executed that plan. And, and my dad used to say, you know, winning is being the best you can be. 
but only you know if you gave your best. Only you know. But if you can answer that question honestly and truthfully, you can live with the results, good or bad. And I think that was the first moment in my career that stamped that idea into me. Like, it didn't affect me at all. (laughs) At all, because I could honestly say that I gave my best in that moment. I had the right thoughts, I had a plan, I was poised, I, I threw that pitch with absolute conviction, and I was absolutely shocked when he hit it. Totally shocked, and, you know. But sometimes you need moments like that to reinforce a larger truth, which is some days you're gonna get beat and you gotta get over it. You just gotta move on. You gotta move well, on and it's okay. Houston, it's been a great conversation. We're gonna wind it down in our Where Are They Now? With Houston Street, and you mentioned at the top of our conversation how much you admired Dennis Eckersley as a kid, and we know the moments he went through. And just like you said, stand-up guy, lived the lived in the moment, owned the moment, owns it to this day, and just is part of baseball. You're fortunate to be uh, involved in that, and that means an awful lot. I I know if you're in the game for 13 years, like you were that things are going to happen. You were traded from the athletics. You went to Colorado, moved on to San Diego, moved on to the Angels, uh, signed a free agent contract. You saw a lot of different sides of the business of baseball. But again, going back on the field, you mentioned earlier a couple of injuries. You you wish you could have maybe been healthier throughout the course of your career. But clearly, Absolutely. 13 years proved that you found a way to, to will yourself on the mound. What was save number 300 like for Houston Street. It wasn't as an A. It was in 2015 with the Angels. It was against Minnesota. Was How much of a culmination, if it was for you, of all the hard work and, and, and the position that you played or pitched, what that number meant to Houston Street? You know, I think 300, the thing that, that meant the most to me about it it was just the organization and my teammates' reactions. You know, I, I, I was so the, – the, 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 Joe Smith and Mike Trout, it's my favorite baseball card, you know, of mine. Poor Gatorade on me. And, it, you know, you, you play – sorry, I'm getting like choked up, but you, you play the game as a kid and, and you love it. And so, yeah, I mean, truth is I got 300 and I wanted to get, I thought for sure I was going to get 400. Um, but, you know, injuries are a part of the game. That's what makes being a Hall of Famer so special. That's what makes those numbers so special. That's what makes 500 or 20 wins in a season so special or 40 saves or 50 saves or, you know. Uh, and 300 for me was just, when I look back on it, I think in my head, you did pretty good. So, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I love the game. You know, your emotions certainly, even to this day, years after that happens, speaks to how much the game has meant to you and how much you've given to the game. Houston, as we as we say goodbye and and wish you and the family all the best in Austin. Just one more thought about what it was like playing for the Oakland Athletics, wearing the white spikes, seeing the fans, the crazies, and left field and right field, the flags, and just the energy, and and how much you got out of what it was like to be an Oakland Athletic. Well, you know, I, I think it's the perfect way to end this. 
uh, is talking about my experience with the fans. You know, uh, you talk, we, uh, you've heard me talk about how special teammates are. You've heard me talk about, you know, my, you've heard my emotions with how much I love the game. But there's something so, and I, 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 this word has been so uh, profound in my life lately, but pure. But, you know, you drive in, and, and the Coliseum, the parking lot, it, 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 it's not exactly like the rest of the places, right? And there's a lot of things people can say. But what I say, the clubhouse is tiny. That made us a family. You know, the ownership group treated us well. But the fans, the fans, you know, it, it was like we had relationships with them. I can remember, you know, John, if you're out there listening, man, I still remember you. And like, you know, I, and we had relationships where you pull in and they give my kids treats. Or not, I didn't have kids, but they give give my me treats. I guess I was the kid, so they were giving me the cookies. But they they they, they 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 did special little things that made it almost like a neighborhood game. But you're in the big leagues, and, and you you BP, and they're talking to you, and and they're supporting you. And um, when I look back on it. I didn't have that level of intimacy at in any other place I played with the fans, with in particular groups of individuals who you knew were diehard, who literally like, you know, were taking four months off from work for their game to come see the games to support us. They loved us. Uh, it, when I look back on my time in Oakland, the baseball is the baseball you know, the game is the game, the team is the team, and all that stuff, as I've already said, was absolutely beautiful. But equally as beautiful was that relationship that I got to experience at such a young age. And when, as I look back on it now, 13-year career and a 39-year-old man with three little boys, I think, you know, that was a really special way to start my career and an absolutely unique. And I'm just so thankful that uh, my career started with those fans that way. It, it, it just made it that much more fun to want to go to the ballpark every day. Um, and, and that's that's the way I remember Oakland. I, just, I do. I remember it so fondly uh, more and more as, as I age. It just gets more and more special to me in my heart. Jason, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us. Uh, great memories, great emotion. Uh Great stories, and all the best to you and Lacey and the boys there in Austin. We'd love to see you at some point at the Coliseum or when the club's on the road, you know, in the Lone Star State, love for you to pop your head in. You mean a lot to this organization. You mean a lot to these fans. And uh, thanks so much for being a part of this episode of Where Are They Now? Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.